Well, what comes to your mind when you think of your HRBP? What's the HR manager's dream question? Why should we hire you? What do you do in 2021? What are you going to do differently? If you're still scratching your head as I am, this bus talk will be the comb to your scratches, the gel to the itches, the cover to the patches of your career. It may not raise your hair, but calm the head for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HR Talks. Friends, I have a fascinating discussion lined up for you today. It's about everything you wanted to know or ask, but were always hesitant to do so. The questions are designed to make you think and reflect at not just your leadership quotient today, but how it may shape your career tomorrow. So if you are a people manager, an individual contributor, knocking the doors of management or even a senior management leader, this episode is right for you. I've divided the session into four segments. Each will dive deep into an aspect of people management. And to help us decode, I have invited a seasoned global HR leader, career and executive coach, program leader to share an unconstrained point of view on the why, what and how of people management at the workplace. Now, having spent time at Deloitte, Goldman Sachs, Oracle and EY, this person brings a robust understanding, first-hand understanding of cross-cultural trends, people management experiences, insights on career management, and a range of topics on best ways to manage your career in the new normal. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Gopal Ayer. Gopal, great to have you on the show. Pleasure is mine, Ayan. Thank you so much. Excellent. So let's jump in. Now, I've curated some questions from a variety of audiences. Uh, and my audience is largely from the age group of 30, 35 through 50. There are sales managers. There are business development managers. There are leaders, operations, HRBPs as well. I interact a lot because a lot of people management conversations. Senior leaders and clearly there are some youngsters as well. So this the questions will uh, resonate to such an audience. So it will range from from tactical to strategic or even philosophical at times. So there are four sections, human resources, recruitment, developing talent, and you probably end with a light rapid fire section. The idea is to get a straight cut, brutally blunt version of the truth. And people are tired of listening to long drawn, politically correct, sanitized, and no pun intended. I know we need to sanitize. <laughs> sanitized version of uh, well, carefully curated, prepared remarks, which often does not really address the point. So are you all set? Absolutely. All right. Let's uh, jump in to the first section. Hello and welcome to Bus Talk, a podcast about your work-life balance or the lack thereof, where we do simple talk in the world of complex commentary, the life around work and sundry. It's for those who need support in strife, stuck in the traffic of work life, hoping to find a method to the madness, joy in sadness, clarity in confusion and sanity in this commotion. Welcome to Bus Talk. All right, let's jump into the first segment. It's about human resources. We have roughly about 20 minutes for this. So this is in context of modernization, in context of AI, bots replacing human resources. You know, many people say that algorithms cannot hire people. Let's start with that. Do you see a VPHR 
as a bot by 2030? And if so, why? The answer to that is yes and no. When I say yes and no, it's because it goes back to the conversations that we would have had uh, when we were kids. When I remember this, that when my uh, I was probably in grade uh, four or five, and one of the days in the evening, uh, my mom got her off office musters, and those were the pay registers that they would uh, get. Uh, and she started working, and uh, dad came home, and we were having dinner, and suddenly both of them start talking about, have you heard this uh, term called computers? And it didn't really uh, make sense then. I mean, I was too young for that probably. And then they said, yeah, they are saying that computers will come and take away our jobs, uh, actually. Uh, so it's a real reason for worry. And as I grew, and uh, probably in the grade eight, we were introduced to the subject of computers and then walked out of school and the college uh, where computers became integral subject for everything that we did. I remember having fought with my parents to get a desktop computer at home uh, because they would not really resonate with why you needed computers. And here we are today in 2021, where uh, our entire life is driven by computing. Now, has that had uh, any impact to our lives in terms of people getting better, efficient ways of getting things done? Uh, absolutely, yes. Has that had an impact on certain people who have not been able to get jobs for themselves. That's also true. Always need to remember that we need to find the best in this, the two, two extremes that we live and see what we can do as individuals to be able to get best out of that situation or, or that learning. And uh, I think VPHR in 2030 will be a combination of an individual who would have his empathy and intelligence quotient and with a support of a lot of uh, systems and technologies that will just improve the way things happen for him, for people rather. So what you're saying is, even if AI takes over or a bot takes over, the role of VPHR will evolve into doing something else? I'll give you the reference to context. Why do I ask that? Is because there are, in most people, what they think is there are 10 things that a VPHR does. If eight of them are automated, how are you going to engineer or find or develop another eight things to do? Because you have no, it's a finite set or is it, are you saying, is it not a finite set of activities? We haven't really sat down and put down our job descriptions really well. And, and or rather, have, I would say, haven't kept them updated in terms of what a director in HR or a VP in HR or CHRO need to be continuing to focus on. And I think uh, at the end of the day, every role, be it within the business or within any of the support functions, revolve around how to make lives easier for people. I think we have also not been able to come out of this zone of not having asked ourselves this question. Why are we doing this? I mean, there is a there is a wonderful principle in Six Sigma which helps you do value-add and non-value-add analysis. Now, if you ask a lot of professionals, uh, not just HR, but let's include HR for a moment as well. How are we trying to spend our time today is, is by following processes, doing things that we are supposed to be doing and, and uh, ensuring governance and compliance and policies and all of that. A lot of that, I think, in my view, would could be easily automated because of advancements in technologies. But at the end of the day, is that going to mean that we don't have enough job in hand? The answer to that is no. I mean, if you're an, if you're an HR uh, director or an HRVP, I think your job is to speak to the business in understanding what do they need from you. 
uh, to be able to run the organization better and talk to people who can get the work done for you. And if you're not doing either of these jobs, like talking to your customer and talking to your team to be able to get the best outcome, then you're not playing your role well. Uh, and that's what today is is biggest struggle in a lot of support functions where i think we are so busy in getting things done that we don't we don't really need we don't really pause to ask ourselves this question as to what is it that we need to do and which is why traditionally uh, if you look at a lot of jokes that float around within the the industry and and even otherwise is what do these people do sending something to uh, any of the support functions including hr means you never get to hear back from them and i think the fact for that is we we haven't really been able to sit down and ask ourselves are we spending the time in the right place organizations who have done that well i think have uh, been able to uh, get better results for themselves their clients and 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 their their people but there are a lot of organizations who struggle with it and i think what we lack fundamentally is agility and can we really be agile in the way we do things i think that's also a question that we need to ask ourselves given that most tier 1 and i'm guessing it's perhaps the state of the country as it were we often see that there are a bunch of alpha people upper echelons of management all under one roof what that does is lowers the attention span of any other conversation to take place it's politely put and this is a straight talk so it's mostly like my way or the highway don't get intelligent beyond what you need to here are the 10 things that need to be done so and there is merit in that just to play the devil's advocate in the sense uh if you get too democratic and too diverse then work will never get done uh, so the leader of today has to kind of balance between being a straight talking no nonsense versus very accommodative inclusive kind of forget it's a tricky balance but my point is from an hr point of view i often find many hr bps to be fulfillment agents rather than partners hr business partner is a very strong there's a reason why it was coined that way whereas i find mostly that they are carriers here is the instruction i will follow as so i guess what i'm trying to refer to is having a backbone having such a strong partnership where you advise like give you a classic example most people would want a superman now is it not the job of the hrbp to say the role that you have requires a clark kent you don't need a superman turns out there is only one and he might not need a job or a wonder woman i mean just to be gender neutral uh you don't need rock stars you know this hiring a rock star is something that i i kind of just don't seem to figure out what happened to the normal people why can't normal people function and work and do a job why do you now need to always be the superstar and so the role of hrbp therefore becomes this carrier okay if the business wants this then what that's what i want to deliver how do you see the role first of all do you agree that is happening or if you disagree then give share some examples and if you agree then what can be done to change the definition of an hrbp sure so um if you if you really look at an organizational hr construct we have the recruitment leaders who drive the fulfillment agenda i mean we we, we would have a lot of business coming in and their job is to go and get people recruited for for you then you have other uh, center of excellences which is you have your total rewards team that typically looks into all your best in class pay benefits and, and and several other experience aspects you have you have employee relations you have enablement functions to ensure that you are you're joining it on the day one or 
your record in the tool is taken into account and everything for that matter from a back-end support perspective is is in place the business partner's role is always kind of stitching it together right the business partners to probably uh, should should be the ones who stitch the recruitment to the exit process really well but at the same time also the other end of the circle is is to look at what the business wants from the workforce uh, and and what workforce are we talking about today when we're talking about the multi-generational workforce that we have today the the fundamental challenge that we uh, have faced for the longest of time and this also differs between industries and geographies and organizations as well is where do hr get the seat at the table uh, and do they even get the seat at the table and often when you look at uh, conversations and as you rightly said we're often looking at the talent in a very different way or we're we probably looking at fulfillment as our uh, as our KPI but what's the HRBP's true north star the HRBP's true north star is the aspect of being able to grow the business so are our HR business partners even supporting the business leaders today in in being able to grow the business the answer to that probably in many cases is no because they're so busy in transactions processes governance managing employee relation matters uh, or or approving leaves or or approving overtimes that it becomes an extremely tactical role than 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 a seriously strategic role and i think again goes back to the point that i made earlier have we sat down and asked ourselves what is my role am i doing the role that i'm supposed to be doing and i think uh, to the point on whether do we need rock stars i think that's a that's a that's a thing that is evolving uh, and and evolving for good and bad both uh when i say good and bad both uh i think there is lack of partnership in many ways to feed in the information to the business leaders or the hiring manager to say that you know what we don't make rock, rock stars anymore we don't make supermans anymore right i mean the fact that the the quality of uh, everything that is around us is is meant to excite and and give you an instant gratification than longevity includes that for people as well like we as an individual no longer uh, are are working for organizations for loyalty for 20 years and why is that sorry to interrupt so does the school make the student or the student make the school i think in many ways in today's generation student makes the school everything that is around us is driven by individuals and our desires and, and our uh, appetite at the end of the day the fact that we shop differently we consume differently we binge watch on netflix uh, is all a change that we are seeing uh, happening around us and and are we are we really uh, adopting as an individual to the changing times personally yes maybe i'll i'll shop through big basket or an amazon or or others instead of going to a kirana store and buying stuff for myself but when it comes to making decisions about things that i need to do for my organization probably i'll think twice because there is a lot of legacy and bureaucracy around everything that happens around it so i think coming back to the point that i made uh, we we really need to ask the the questions about are we getting the right kind of people fit for the job that's that should be the uh, the question i mean is this not for the company no is this person coming in for the job does he have the right skill sets and is it would he be able to get the work done that should be the focus versus is he a superstar or a superman or a rockstar so does it not so does it not risk creating an assembly line whereas what you need is uh, a flexibility i guess the question is do you hire for the role or do you hire for the company company culture uh, what is the right way depends on which business we are in as well 
uh, a lot of things that covid has also taught us is everything is as good as yesterday and today and tomorrow 10 years of legacy versus 20 years of future probably is not going to be as much as relevance today when the survival is going to be uh, the most important aspect and i think um, Uh, if if you really look at the decisions that the organizations have taken in the last maybe 18 to 24 months in more so 18 months has been heavily driven by how we had to respond and in some cases also react to the situation that unfolded in front of us and our demands as consumers are also changing quite a bit i mean we are very brutal about how we consume stuff today we no longer talk about about acquiring assets i think our focus also is on a survival mode if if you really ask me and hiring decisions have only that much um, relevance for the next 12 to 18 months than how it used to be 5 years ago where you had a 3 year predictability i don't think today any business can build a 3 year 3 to 5 year roadmap uh given all that's happening around in terms of disruption around us so basically what you are saying is we are taking the question where do you see yourself in 5 years off the table <laughs> during interviews absolutely <laughs> but people will still ask but people will still ask because they are so used to asking that question but uh, i think yeah i mean i, I don't think anyone is going to be able to pinpoint an answer for that <laughs> yeah, tell me about that. Uh, okay, so give us a perfect segue into uh, the next question, and it revolves around: think of yourself as a mid-management HR professional. Uh, mm-hmm. You've had about ten years of work experience. What now do you do in the next normal? How you have led? Picture yourself from 2015 to 2020. And the reason I put this time frame is because during this phase, SaaS economy. really took center stage subscription economy really took center stage and it kind of changed the way we look at business and then the pandemic and then the virtual experience which always existed to be fair since adam and eve i don't know it just got mainstreamed as it were so i am this mid management hr professional what do i do between 2021 and 2025 differently than what i did from say 2015 through 2020 So 2010 to 2020 has been a very different decade in many ways. 2000 to 2010 was a very different decade. I think 2000 to 2010 saw a, a gradual shift from a factory mindset to services mindset in many ways. 2010 to 2020 was a great adoption of technology and technology transformation centered towards building experiences and and quote unquote make lives easier for people. But we couldn't really realize the full potential of it because of various reasons i think organizational culture or or people's perception about technology adoption and many of i mean in every technology adoption you will have a curve right i mean i think a lot of people probably still need to uh, work towards that 2020 to 2030 would be again a different world and if i am a mid manager today uh, as we speak uh, i think the focus again should be on two critical skills that i need to embark upon and really do something about it in as soon as possible i mean it, it should have been done yesterday or day before one is understanding what businesses are going through what business cycles are why do organizations have to take certain calls what calls do they need to take uh, are we profitable as an organization uh, are we making are, are we incurring losses what's the impact of business on people um, so improving business acumen 
is utmost import, important today than ever in the history. I think a lot of times, 2000 to 2010 and 2010 to 2020, I think we were still had we still had that cushion to be able to say that. I, I don't think uh, I get to hear enough about all of these from my leaders, but I think that's gone now. I think people do understand that HR needs to be at this, needs to have a seat at the table and, and probably need to be involved in many of these conversations as well. So aspects around how do you, divest a business how do you merge with something else how do you create strategic alliances with other organizations uh, and ask yourselves really this question uh, as an hr leader the work that we are doing today is are we the best in in terms of doing this job or can we literally look at a managed services provider to take care of this so business acumen as as number one skill and the second aspect is of course also look at improving digital literacy you can't really go forward into 2030 without understanding everything around how we can improve experiences through having right set of data talking to the customer client people in the language that they understand so adopting social media skills adopting digital skills like we often hear this comment from a lot of people, which is, I feel at times lame around, I'm not a technology person. Well, you have to be at the end of the day. You, as, as long as you come, continue saying that, you probably are wiring yourself for not ready for 2030. So improve your digital literacy to ensure that you are being effective as an HR leader. If, if these two things are taken care of, you at least have a chance. Otherwise, it becomes a transactional role that can be easily replaced by any of the bots. Actually, I was just referring to some of the questions I have received for this segment. Is Some of them are saying, and of course, I can't quote their names or organizations, but some of them are saying that we are overpowered. That's the word that caught my attention. So, you know, we, we are pretty much overpowered because the business is like, I am running the show. We are running the bread. You are the ones who are supporting us. So what can I do beyond a point that if there are 10 things asked of me and that's what I do. So in 2020 to 2025 or 2030 in the next decade, where do you see this balance shifting and if so, how and why? I think the balance should have already shifted to towards business in many ways. And I think we are, we are slightly slower to be able to catch up to that. Uh, and, and, and I think the quicker we move towards that is, is what is going to help everyone for that matter. So it's not about whether do we have access to information or not. It's not about do we have ability to know what's happening. Are we hiring the right people or not? It's it's actually about getting things done and getting things done quickly. And and both of that doesn't happen automatically. You need to really work towards it. So action, execution is an extremely important aspect as well. And that's what is going to be the key aspect of building credibility for HR professionals in the future. Totally makes sense, right? So you have digital literacy, you have to have a greater business acumen and therefore develop yourself before you present yourself in the organization. I guess that's the sentiment I'm uh, getting from this. So switching gears a little bit, pretty much, so I'm this mid-management, so if I take you back a few more years and you are this new HR uh, just passed out campus hire, first of all, I'd love to, uh, you know, what is that? one piece of advice you would give to this new pass out of 2020 or 2020, 2019, if you will, who's just stepping into the corporate that here is the worst piece of advice I got back when I started. And uh, here is the best piece of advice I can give you in 2020. It's, it's been an extremely tough couple of years for people who are walking out of uh, their education, right? 
think uh, this question can easily digress into a totally different topic that I am, I've been talking around education in itself on how people pursue education for getting jobs versus really focusing on upskilling themselves and learning something really meaningful for themselves. And, and I think uh, there is a separate debate going on whether you should do an MBA or not. No, but maybe a topic for a different conversation some other day. But at the end of the day, if you really ask the uh, individuals, uh, and I've been speaking to a lot of students in the last um, 12 months or so, they are all worried. And I think uh, they are all very anxious about whether they will get placed or not. And I've been trying to shift their focus as much um, as possible, uh, given the role that I play and, and the fact that I also happen to coach people on pro bono basis around shift the focus from whether you want a job versus shifting the focus to what you can do. And I think if if you really look at that as perspective, are we doing enough to get people ready for that mindset? Uh, and my realization of having spoken to so many students has been no. Uh, and I think uh, if you look at 2015 or, or or even 2010 for that matter, 2015 more so because of the, there was a sudden shift in the way people started behaving because of a lot of digital adoption, I would say. The average time that people spend after their MBA in their first job is shrinking, as, as you see. Like earlier, it used to be three years, five years. And now it's kind of uh, come down to anywhere between 18 to 24 months. And if you ask any any individual as to what's driving them to make that decision, uh, it revolves on the fact that one day they'll say, I'm not designed to do this job. I'm probably overqualified to do this job. Or uh, they would say, I want to gain better experiences. Uh, so I want to move on to do many other things in, in career, including probably going abroad uh, for an higher education and all of that. So I think people's aspirations are also very different today than than how it was when probably I got out of my college a couple of decades ago. And and I feel sorry uh, with the with the fact that everything that they were pinning down their dreams on probably has changed in the last twelve months. The fact that we don't have as many roles for junior professional I mean, junior roles for for them to pick up their jobs, or the fact that we are not able to help people travel abroad for pursuing their dreams for further education and all of that has changed. And and my only couple of pieces of advice will be patience, which I know is going to be an extremely difficult one for, for various reasons for this generation to build. Instant gratification generation and patience. Yeah, the, the instant gratification generation. And I think, I, I mean, it's not an age driven uh, matter it is it is what we all crave for in in in, in the digital world um, but i feel sad because they're all born digital natives uh, i mean i think they were all born with a lot of digital media around them and i think the consumption levels for them is a lot more deeper than how you and i uh, consume digital media so i think that and patience is is uh, one predominant aspect and the second is Think beyond the boundaries. I mean, yeah, I know you do your MBA in HR or MBA in finance and MBA in whatever, but the world of work today requires transdisciplinary skills. And when I say transdisciplinary skills, you probably could be an engineer plus some kind of work experience in a particular industry or a factory and then do your MBA in HR and then come here and find yourself in a totally different domain of expertise. How can you bring the value that you have gained by being an engineer into the world of work that you are in is something that you need to conceive. And that's where creativity comes into picture. You can't really say that only an MBA in HR 
can do an HR role well. In fact, there ha also has to be a cross-pollination. Like you need to have business people taking up HR roles as well. No, absolutely. It gives me a perfect segue into the next question and it's quite related and it's interesting you bring it up because uh, you have a mechanical engineer or a chemical engineer with an MBA in finance becoming an HR head. Is that not counterintuitive? I, in fact, even have in my hiring days, uh, I've hired someone who had done MBBS and MBA. And uh, the person was very good in, in the job. Uh, and so I'm on one hand, it's like, well, what's the connection? And you think, so you were very confused. Did you want to be an engineer? And therefore, because the world is moving away from specialization to, from generalization to specialization. So then you should have been a M-Tech, if you will, or in that line and have a job. Alternatively, you switched track, became MBA in finance. or And this was the classic one that comes to mind is chemical engineering, the gentleman, the person did. And then he did MBA finance. And now the gentleman heading it out. It's like it's like a Bermuda Triangle man. What is it that you want to do? Like in a classic three idiots uh, story. So what's your take on that? So I think um, a couple of examples that you shared were too extreme. I mean, I would say chemical engineering, but I think these are vocations and, and uh, expertises that will also evolve quite a bit. Again, again, going back to the education comment that I made earlier, I mean, are we doing enough as, as parents, as uh, ecosystem to allow students to make the right decisions for themselves? I think that's an evolution that is waiting to happen. And I think today, I think we have a lot of choices that people have that probably when we studied, we didn't. I mean, I think we had predominantly three tracks, commerce, engineering, or arts, right? I think, uh, and, and we chose because our elder brothers or cousins took something and, or, uh, I would do it. And, uh, or uh, my senior in the school did it. So, and then that's how it is, right? But today, I think uh, people have access to information like nothing before. Uh, and I think that will definitely help people get more clarity in terms of what they want to be doing. Also, it can add to confusion. That that much I agree. But if you really look at, I don't see any issue in and 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 a wasted engineering seat. Yeah, right. I mean that's also there. But it depends on whether it was paid for or not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so if you really look at how we need to really think about our roles, we need people with engineering backgrounds in HR, and the reason for that is. HR today is no longer about getting people into the organization, seeing them through the life cycle and having them leave uh, at some point of time. Like I keep giving this example in some of my other talks. HR 30 years ago was all about getting people recruited through a drive. And that drive was predominantly once in a year or once in a quarter activity because people who joined would hardly leave, right? So the the title of an HR manager was personal in personal relations and industrial personal management and industrial relations expert or manager, right? And they would grow and become an ultimate CHRO or a VP of an HR. But today we have so many other HR verticals that are designed to cater to the talent activity of today. When people come and leave. So we need someone to analyze attrition. We need someone to understand why people are leaving. Then there is an element on giving people better experiences. But we'll, uh, but we always have a skew of exorbitant supply over demand. Oh yeah, so, absolutely. So if one is to what thirteen hundred applicants for a role, how does that hold any water at all? So supply is gonna be high any which ways um, because of the sheer size of the demography that we are. 
and which is why you keep getting complaints about people not getting any uh, response to applications that they are making on any of the company portals for jobs right i mean i think at the end of the day but they also complain they are already internally hired so uh, i applied in the morning at 8 o'clock by 9 o'clock i got a regret mail uh, so the <laughs> why would you even advertise well yeah i mean i would say uh, a lot of things are a, a, a decision of probably and this, these are my personal views so please. i think these these are notifications that we forget to turn off if i were to say so right i mean at the end of the day we post a job and that job goes on to linkedin or or iim jobs or nokri and remains there forever and then we forget to turn it off and that keeps repeating and people think that oh this job is open for so long and each time and when they go ahead and apply each time 300 people apply so <laughs> like absolutely 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 so and i think that also is adding to a lot of stress and pressure for a, a lot of recruitment community because for one job uh, itself they'll keep getting tens and thousands of uh, applicants and there is no way to site on the on on the flip side it could dent somebody's confidence oh yeah absolutely there are those people who said look i have all the prerequisite skill sets i know the job and they don't even call me for an interview so if there are 766 applicants and the person's resume is at number 755 the chances of him getting a or her getting a call is next to nothing or do you think there is a smarter way of doing it there are definitely i mean i i strongly believe that the old school style of recruitment has to change where and again um, the kind of uh, adoption of technology that we have seen or not seen is also driving to a lot of confusion the ways of hiring of people using their cvs and applying for a job and people expecting that they would get a call i don't think that's going to happen ever and and especially so are we going back to the sifarish phase unless you know my uncle my father so we are stepping into nepotism phase <laughs> in some sense like unless you know me you know people complain so much of ne- about nepotism about the bollywood stars yet the doctor that my uncle knows or my the school admission that my friend is a principal that is perfectly acceptable to the society so where are we headed in from that standpoint so i would say uh, networking is is the new age uh, sifarish uh, the the only aspect that has gotten a little worse in the last 12 to 18 months and again that's purely on account of tremendous supply for uh, very little demand or lack of proper match for us uh, for a role has added a lot of stress to the entire networking equation as well people have actually gotten into a zone where they would just add people on connection connections uh, add you as a connection on linkedin and say first thing even before asking you whether you're good or not or uh, are you doing, doing well or not uh, even without uh, uh, really asking or, or giving saying hi gopal or hi ayan they'll say hi refer me for this job and that's kind of also the desperation that we have seen yeah right i mean the copy paste of uh, approach but i think at the end of the day uh, what i'm saying is networking is very important and people need to know how to work towards networking it's, it's more a gardening activity than than really uh, i mean where you need to really spend some time in nurturing the relationship giving more first then expecting something in return versus uh, just asking them for a favor right without even him or her knowing you uh, so that's the new age safarish yeah 
No, absolutely. I, you know, we're already on the top of the segment and we need to wrap this, but it's such a fascinating conversation. We'll continue a little bit more. So this LinkedIn conversation that you brought up. So the other day I, I got trolled because somebody just said, can you refer me for a suitable role? And so I said, how will I know what a suitable role is for you? Uh, the general person got very offended, said, if you can't give a job, just say no. What kind of a leader are you? <laughs> I was like, totally taken aback. I was like, I'm trying to educate you that I can't do the homework for you. You have to do the homework of the role that you feel that you are best suited and perhaps ask me that it, can I help you understand the role better? Why would I fast track your resume when 300 other people have already applied for the role? But it also got me thinking that and you being a senior leader with the HR fraternity, I'm guessing you're flooded with 350,000 job requests. So then what else does the guy do? Well, from his or her point of view, he's reaching out to a leader saying, look, I don't need to know how you are. I need a job. That is my primary prerequisite and of interest to you. Is that in itself a wrong thing to do? How am I going to, what am I going to give to you that you will talk to me? I, I have nothing to give to you. I have only to take from you. I need to hear you uh, and my interest in hearing you is if you can refer me for a job. So what is wrong with that? And so it's a very thin line between networking, like people at the same level can perhaps network, but you can argue that you won't learn anything. If I'm a LinkedIn stalker, for lack of a better expression, I surf <laughs> for HR leader or HR manager to recruiter to recruiter at a senior level. What should I do? Should I just say I need a job and come straight to the point? Should I beat around the bush? How do I network with you? So my uh, answer is going to slightly sound very spiritual or uh, I would say more evolved if I, if I, if I can say, say that. The, the question is, do we really need jobs or do we want jobs? And people often mistake the difference between the need and the want. And the want aspect of it is more driven by what they have been fed. Like, job karna hai. I mean, you have to be in a job. No, 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 sir. My EMI has ah, lapsed exactly. already. My credit exactly. card bills have gone. I need a yeah, job. Yeah. With which pays me money. Yeah. So, what have you done to think about beyond job as well? Right? I mean, have you really paused for a moment to ask ourselves, what are the other ways of getting more business? Or getting more money, and I think um, that's that's. I mean, this I have done in, in through several conversations that I've had with uh, people in the last twelve months. And if I can uh, quote uh, an interaction with one of the interior designer workers who designed the home that I live right now, as soon as COVID happened, he said, uh, "I'm letting go of my people. They have to go back to their hometowns and, and all of that." And in two months of lockdown, they, he didn't make any money. And and I think I reached out to him again in month of June, July, because we were all working from home, and I had to get some additional furniture to get. Uh, a proper table and a chair to be able to sit. And I asked him, how is your business doing? And he said, I have to work. I have no other job. At the end of the day, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm getting my this one done. So I said, what are you doing then? He said, I was busy selling sanitizers and uh, facial masks in the last two months. Right? What, is, what does that tell? I mean, have we really asked ourselves, what else can I do? And why is this fascination for job in a corporate that is stopping you from thinking beyond anything else? Have you considered freelancing? Have you considered volunteering? Have you considered many other aspects of how you can earn money to pay your EMIs? And that hasn't happened, which is why I think if you really look, I mean, that's changing. Of course, in the last 12 months, a lot of people have gotten creative. 
about how to make money as well. But the focus should be on what do you need to survive than getting a job. I think there are a lot of materials and, and coaching and guidance that is available today that didn't exist 12 months ago. Probably a lot many more people now are into the business of telling people how to approach people on LinkedIn for jobs, which I ideally hopefully should take care of it. But having said that, uh, uh, coming back to the old point that I made, the old ways of looking for jobs is gonna gonna die soon. Uh, and I think the I mean this is where RPAs and AI and ML will will play a huge role in in the way things can evolve. And I think the broader question for a lot of HR leaders today is, how do I make it happen? Now, if I give an example of an Uber and compare that with Meru, which existed, or uh, any other taxis that we took typically. In the past, we used to call a call center three days in advance for my travel from my home to airport. He will confirm the booking, but at the same time, at the end, he will give up saying that the driver didn't turn up and, and we have a poor experience, but didn't matter. You will take an auto and go to the airport. Uber changed that entire equation. How did that change? You have as an user access to your mobile, which tells you whether the cab is available within how many minutes and, and all of that. Uh, and, and the same way for the cab drivers as well, where they get to know how many more bookings am I going to get in the same range, in the same five kilometer radius. Think about recruitment as the same. Can we allow the business leaders or a hiring manager access to the talent pool, give them access to talent pool, have them review CVs, select people, reject people and, and make a decision whether to hire or not. That completely cuts the entire element of having to go through a channel, through 20,000 processes to be able to get a job, which is what is broken in the, in the generation that we live in. We have technology, but we don't know how to use technology. It's like you having a classic digital device without an operating manual, right? And I think that's what is going to evolve over the next few years. And the rise of platform economy is going to be changing that any which ways. Then the, then the question for an employee or candidate is, are you there on the right platforms? If, if you're going to use only one, which is LinkedIn or probably LinkedIn and Nokri and others to find jobs, probably your, your, your ways of finding jobs are not relevant anymore. Yeah. And to be fair, platform. LinkedIn was not solely a job portal. Yeah. It was a networking portal which also hosted some jobs. Correct. Correct. Dedicated job portals are like Indeed, IIM, or Nokri, or what have you. And now they're trying to, I don't know if they're trying to be LinkedIn, so it's a bit mixed. But that <laughs> everyone wants to be everyone. <laughs> end of uh, right. Uh, no, but that brings us to the end of this first segment. I thought uh, it was fascinating understanding your point of view. I think we touched upon some very interesting points on the fact that HR uh, will not become a bot in 2030. The role will evolve. We touched upon how diverse cross-pollination or cross-transdisciplinary uh, degrees will still be relevant. We also understood some um, aspects on how the need to balance processes, uh, let the processes not overtake the human aspect of uh, HR. So in the next segment, we're going to touch upon recruitment and some of the hiring practices. And I think that's going to be even more fascinating. So jump right back in in a short bit. And that's about it for this episode of Bus Talk. I do hope you had a good time listening as much as I had sharing these thoughts with you. And if you did, just scroll below and find other episodes of Bus Talk. Share it with others who might appreciate similar content. 
Here's the good news though. If you had any specific questions or want me to cover a specific topic which matters to you, send me a note on my email gyanban at gmail.com which is g-y-a-n-b-a-n-n at gmail.com and I'll include them in the subsequent episodes. Or you could leave me a voice message using the link below. Reach me on my social media handles on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Hashtag G-Y-A-N-B-A-N. That's Gyanban. Or you could go on to podpage.com forward slash bus talk. That's B-A-S-T-L-K. So be sure to tune in next week. There's a fascinating episode coming right up. And till then, stay safe, stay well and bring your A-game to work. You are listening to Bus Talk and I'm your host, GB. Peace out.